Hello and welcome to Date Your Ego, Marry Your Soul podcast. I'm your host, Serafina, and I am an ego and soul enthusiast. We can no longer be strangers to our egos and how they function. So come and join me as we find out why and how this philosophy of dating your ego but marrying your soul is true and useful for you. An inspired life is actually easy to live. You just need to follow your gut, your instinct, or rather date your ego but marry your soul. Trust it and it will make sense. My next guest is one such human being who has lived an inspired life. He is of German origin, has been in the military, and then got inspired to make music. And to promote that music, he learned video production. And this got him into journalism. And a series of inspired actions have now made him the CEO of The Authentic Creator. I can't wait to talk to Christian Cruz. My mom always says I was a super easy child. But that has to do with the situation we were in. My mom was a single mom. Growing up without a father figure, I knew there were certain things that male human beings do or can do or just are that I was not yet. So I was looking for a personal development program and the military was just that. You see that when a training situation is so real that they can feel fear, it's just incredible what the human being is capable of producing in energy. You just need to have the right motivation, you need to have the right trigger. And in some ways, as an officer, my job was to bring people to that realization, sometimes against their own will, because that is what it takes to never give up, to really go all in and to make it through the most hostile situations you can ever dream of. The music started actually before I joined the military. Like from the age of 17 on, I had some guitar close by. And throughout my whole military career, I always traveled with my guitar. I mean, I always created music when I was sad. The music really was coping mechanism for all the things that happened in the military. Journalism started when I was still doing my music thing and I dated a performance and video artist and she was working as an editor. I think within just like a long weekend, she showed me how to use this professional piece of software. It happened so that a month later, she was sick and couldn't work, but she had a job with this publisher. And so she convinced the publishing company to let me do her job. So she sat there with me a couple of hours and showed me the project and said, you know, it's really simple. You just do this and this and this. And so all of a sudden I'm going from being an officer doing my own music to being an editor. And from there it took off. I, my videos became much better and I continued creating stories about my friends. And this is where the storytelling parts comes into play. All of my friends in Munich outside of the military, they were all super active, like climbers, hikers, sometimes extreme stuff, expeditions that they did into the Alps somewhere. And I followed along and I started creating little videos about my friends. So I think that later when I joined the Ministry of Defense, this media core here in Berlin, and I started sharing the stories of my fellow soldiers working in the military, devoting their life to the security of this nation. When I started sharing those stories, that was the first moment I can pin down where I think, oh, I'm really making a difference here. Christian Cruz, welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you today? 
Hello, Serafina. I'm good. I feel really relaxed and also a little bit tired from a lot of projects that are going on, but I'm super excited to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Can you start by telling us a little bit about what you were like as a child? My mom always says I was a super easy child. Like all of her friends would always envy her for little Christian who never made a big commotion, who never asked for too much, who would always carry away his plates from dinner table. Basically, I was a really, really nice kid. Like, I hate to say it, it's going to sound like a schmuck, but I was a really nice kid. But that has to do with the situation we were in. My mom was a single mom. She worked at some points, worked two jobs plus household. And my mom had three children, but was divorced once before I actually, she actually got me. And then she divorced my father when I was four and then moved in with her new boyfriend who also had a kid. So we were a total patchwork family. And I grew up with two older sisters, my mom working two jobs, having a huge house that was my mom's boyfriend's house. They're now married for more than 20 years now. I'm really happy. But the situation always was that I kind of protected my mother. I protected my mom from my, I would say, little difficult stepsister. I also protected my mom from just a lot of the things that were just going on in our lives. You know, like there was always stories of there's not enough or there's too much of this and we, we would like to do this, but we can't. And it was difficult sometimes. So I tried to be the best kid I could be. And by doing so, I protected my mom from just an extra thing to worry about. And my mom was, until this day, is very grateful. At the same time, she says that it was a little bit much, that she sometimes felt like it was a burden on me as a little kid. It sounds like you were her little blessing. Tell me, where did you grow up? Where were you born? So I was born in the northernmost part of Germany, a town called Husum, that's H-U-S-U-M. And it's actually called the Grey City by the Sea. That's kind of like their motto, the Grey City by the Sea. The Grey City by the Sea? Apparently, there is a lot of like saltwater fog all the time mm -hmm. up there. And the, the city is not super colorful. That's the North Sea facing towards Britain. But people from that region, they kind of like embrace that they are little special and kind of like secluded from everyone they're indoors a lot or when you know because weather is usually bad outside and at the same time they're very warm and social when you get to know them when they invite you into their homes so there's this duality so to speak that's where i was born and we actually had to move away from there because as a little child i think i was just a little more than a year old mm. i had this condition I had trouble breathing. My mom would stay up night after night at my bed, making sure that I was still breathing. And my father would be stressed out as well about it. So they took me to the doctor multiple times. And at some point, the doctor said, you know, I don't know what it is, but you should go somewhere else. You should go on vacation or just see if it has got something to do with your home. Because allergies was a thing back then already and, and allergies. And he said, just go away. And my mom took me. That very day, he said that and, and took me to my grandparents' place in southwestern part of Germany, close to the French border, really close. And we got there and already on the way, my mom had the feeling I got better. 
So my mom decided we'll stay there. She never went back. So she sent my father back and said, you're going to handle changing your job, moving our home. I'm not taking Christian back up north because I'm scared he's going to die. <laughs> so I, and that's a life story of mine, like leave home to find something new, to be healthy somewhere else. Mm. And in some way, thinking about this right now, I have relived that story many, many times throughout the next 30 something years. You know, your story, the reason I find your story so inspiring is that children who have to grow up quicker than their age often turn into adults who have a lot of compassion and who have a capacity for a life that can embrace a lot of things. I know this myself because I am a child who had to grow up very quickly because my, of my own parents' problems. And I can certainly sense that from you. Tell me what inspired you to go to the military? The military for me was a place where I was doing some soul searching, but I was also trying to just find my bearings, so to speak. Growing up without a real father figure, my stepdad, my mom's boyfriend at the time, he was not that father figure for me. He couldn't take my father's place. I don't think I ever had this feeling of a strong father figure. So I knew there were certain things that male human beings do or can do or express or just are that I was not yet mm -hmm. and that I had no idea about. So in some way, it's this old tale of leaving home to become a man, joining the military for not the adventure of handling weapons and explosives and going to war, but the adventure of finding yourself in places and in actions that are away from the safe haven of your mom's lap. And that was a very, very conscious decision at the time. I was looking for a personal development program and the military was just that. And I found it there. That's why I joined it. So do you think that the calling of your soul was always constructive then? Because it sounds like you cultivated compassion very early on in your life. You know, in uh, Eastern philosophy, they say you're often born with certain qualities that you carry from previous lives that actually allow you to make choices that are determined by more than your upbringing. So it sounds to me like... You know, when people go through trouble when they're younger, they often grow up into adults who are not very constructive, who can be quite self-destructive. But it sounds like you made a choice to actually develop yourself and parts of you that you couldn't actually get inspired by as a child. Do you feel that connection? Because I can certainly see it in your story. Do you feel that soul connection? Are you the sort of person that listens to his instincts and follows through with them? Absolutely, all the time. That is my decision-making, my compass is all based on listening in, then expressing what I feel safe to express or what I think is constructive. So th this constructivism is in one way, you're right, that it is a forward-thinking development mindset that I have and I've always had. I was eager to learn things, not math. I was eager to learn conversational skills, not physics or French. I was not a great student in school. I was an okay student. 
sometimes bad, sometimes good. I was somewhere in the middle, but I was always eager to learn as a person, grow as a person from a very young age on, but also constructive in a way that even when I go out on a, what seems like an egocentric journey, like finding myself going on a retreat or driving off with my car into the sunset to go surfing for two weeks, even when that looks like I'm moving away from other people or society, that is actually me trying to come back as a better person, as a more able-bodied or having gained some quality that I can then share with people. This is certainly constructive, whatever I do. And joining the military, being an officer, I was an officer in the military. So my job was to be there for other people. Some people have a misconception that soldiers in Leeds just tell other people what to do. That is my task. Someone else is telling me to do that, to have that responsibility, but it's a responsibility and it's a burden and it weighs on you heavily. You carry that with you, that responsibility for other people's life, health, including their families, mental health and their future. And that was a great deal of constructive thinking I had to do, whether or not I was up for the task or if I would not take that responsibility. Wow. You touched upon something that really, you know, has touched me in a deep way. When you say you're responsible for people, when you say you're responsible for their families, that for me tells me that you have to find quite a deep strength within you to look after people. How did you manage to do this at such a young age? And what was the one thing that made you feel, okay, Christian, we can do this? There must be something about you at that young age that said, okay, dude, I got this. This is multiple answers. The first one, I have no idea what it is that gives you this energy to show up for other people. I want to think that I have ideas from all the soul searching and the spiritual reading and the meditating and the believing. I'm not particularly religious, but I believe in people. And I believe that everyone is their own God in some way. And everyone is someone else's spiritual entity. So uh, I don't know. I think everyone has that. We just need to find a way to tap into it. And I personally, I don't have to give it a name and I don't have to give it a, a framework like church or any kind of like a religious framework or a spiritual framework. It just is like, you know, I don't want to talk too much about my military stories, but one thing that I saw is when we take people into extreme moments in their training where we sleep deprive them or where we don't give them enough chance to feed themselves. There's always enough water, but like food is a little bit, can be limited at some points in medically controlled ways. You see that fire in people. You see that when a training situation is so real that they can feel fear, that they can feel urgency, that they have, it's just incredible what the mind and what a human being is capable of producing in energy. You just need to have the right motivation, you need to have the right trigger and in some ways, as an officer, my job was to bring people to that realization, sometimes against their own will, because that is what it takes to 
never give up, to really go all in and to, to make it through the most hostile situations you can ever dream of. Also the self-care, you know, like going to war, carrying someone from a burning car is the same kind of energy that you put into sitting down and really listening to someone who has something extreme or horrible to share and just holding space, the same energy. In all of my life, in my little life and big life, I have never heard a statement that inspired. Everyone is their own God. Christian, thank you for sharing that one thing with me. I think that's going to stay with me for the rest of my life. Let's move away from the military. I want to talk about music. I want to talk about how you went from that great ocean of strength that you found inside you to sharing something musical with the world. How did that happen? And what kind of music do you like? What kind of music do you make? So the music started actually before I joined the military, just briefly before. I think I picked up the first guitar when I was 17 or barely 18. It was an electric guitar because, you know, you're young and you want to impress the ladies. (laughs) I wasn't very good at it. I'm not good at reading sheet music. I never actually wanted to learn it. I'm not good at cover music, like sitting down and doing something over and over and over again until there's this technical skill that's, I want to learn a conversational skill mm-hmm. instead of learning math or physics equations. So that's like a technical knowledge. And then there's an emotional and social knowledge within music. And for me, it was all about the expression. So I became a musician at no understanding of the theory of music but had, I think, an innate understanding of the emotional qualities of music. Right. And so from an early, like from the age of 17 on, I had some guitar close by. And throughout my whole military career, I always traveled with my guitar. I mean, I didn't take the guitar on out in the field or on deployment or onto the training grounds. Like, I think I actually did once. (laughs) <laughs> but that was encouraged by my superior officer. And it is not something that was apart from the military. It was just part of my life. So I did this music thing. I enjoyed it very much as a balance point in my life. I did it as like a yin-yang kind of measure at this giving and learning and this all of the masculine energy in the military. And then I also had this soft and expressive and more of a maybe feminine quality in expressing your thoughts and singing about love and friendship and heartbrokenness and all of those things. So to the question, what kind of music I did, I would say I I did something not unsimilar to like the likes of Jack Johnson, like singer songwriter, guitar and, and a voice singing about finding, losing and enjoying love and also about friendship but I actually, and this is something that I sometimes struggled with and sometimes I was okay with it. I always created music when I was sad. The music really was this coping mechanism for all the things that happened in the military. And I played live and I created my original music. And it was amazing to see that actually some people inside of the military understood it and got it. And they didn't think it was weird. And I was always worried that they would think I'm not a good officer because I make music that comes from the heart because I sing about love. But that was just my monkey brain. 
because really there were a lot of people in the military throughout all of the different ranks and different works that they do there that were like, this is amazing. You're really brave. This is really cool. I like it. And so until this day, people ask me if I'm still doing my music thing. And that's really nice. So I don't perform anymore. I don't write music right now or write songs because I just focused more on the storytelling, sharing other people's stories, bit of my talents. But the guitar is always there in the corner. And sometimes I pick it up and I play a song. And when there's a friend here that who's like really wants to hear some of my music, yeah. I still really enjoy it. Good. Well, it's uh, definitely a skill that will hold you in good stead in your life, no matter where you go, what you do. Tell me, so you touched upon telling stories about people, journalism. How did you evolve it to that? The journalism is in some way a funny story. <laughs> so in unison with my military service, I did this music thing of mine. And at the time, YouTube just started. I had a YouTube channel where I promoted my music. So I was kind of a vlogger, video vlogger, before mm -hmm. there was even a word for it. I recorded dozens of episodes about my career as a musician or about my hobby as a musician, so to speak, traveling, going on concerts to promote my music because I wanted to share it with more people over the internet. And I had a MySpace account. Some people out there might not know what that is. It yeah. was the first social network and it was based around music. And I had that. And so journalism started when I was in Munich and I was still doing my music thing. And I dated a performance and video artist. And she was working as an editor at a music label. She was also studying arts and performance in Munich. And she did her performance arts video creations at the same time she worked in this music label. And she was editing public relations material and sometimes music videos and interviews. And I was really intrigued because I was like, this is really cool. This is helpful for my music career. And I want to learn more. And because I did a little bit of editing and, and filming already. And so I think within just like a long weekend, she showed me how to use this professional piece of software that she was using. And it happened so that a month later, she was sick and couldn't work, but she had a job with this publisher. And so she convinced the publishing company, which was in techno in Munich, to let me do her job. So she sat there with me a couple of hours and showed me the project and said, you know, it's really simple. You just do this and this and this, and then show me, and then I give you feedback, and thank you so much that you're doing this. And so all of a sudden, I'm going from being an officer doing my own music to being an editor for a techno music label. Wow. <laughs> editing something that is professional video that will go on, I think at the time it was still, it was not television, it was still online and things and websites. But for me, that was cool. That was my first job as an editor. And from there it took off. I, my videos became much better. I continued to work as an editor for that label. I also actually got invited to join a company that some of the guys there started that was a professional video production company for a big industrial film. And I continued creating stories about my friends. And this is where the storytelling parts comes into play. All of my friends in Munich outside of the military, they were all super active, like climbers, mountain bikers, hikers, like really, really 
sometimes extreme stuff expeditions that they did into the Alps somewhere. And I followed along and I at some point could afford a camera. So I, I bought my first digital video camera, a DSLR photo video camera. And I started creating little videos about my friends. And then an agency saw them and said, oh, this is cool. One of your friends is sponsored by Adidas, the sporting goods company, and we would like to use some of your video. And would you like to come and edit videos for us about him? And so I did that. And that was my first job in an agency as an editor and producer. So fast forward, I leave Munich because my studies are over. I join back into the military system and I'm like, my God, there's all of these creative things that I can do and people value it and companies value it and want to give me money for it. But now I'm still in the military. What do you? So it took me about a year, year and a half until I cold called my way into the Ministry of Defense here in Berlin and said, listen, this is my military experience, but here's also my experience as a creative editor and videographer and director and producer of video content. And I would like to do something with that in the military because I wasn't very happy with what I was doing in my military position back then. What uh, was it that you were doing, if you don't mind? I'm going to try to sum it up. When I joined the military in 2005, I worked as a infantry platoon leader. That was my what I was being trained for. I joined the officer cadet training ranks for three years and I became a platoon leader in the infantry. That is the guys that have heavy backpacks, that walk, that have a big gun, and that basically are the first to die in combat, ground combat, mm-hmm. the hard knocks. And I was doing that in the mountains. So we're mountain infantry, specialized mountain infantry. After doing that for a couple of years, my mom convinced me that she would really love me not to go to Afghanistan in that capacity. Oh, yeah. So I tried out as a helicopter pilot. And I got admitted to the helicopter pilot training course. But before I really got to get my license and everything, they cut that whole training team. It was a crew of 112 pilots to be. And I already had tickets to Fort Rucker, Alabama to do my advanced training course with the United States Army because of my good English language and a program they had in place to exchange pilots and officers but they decided to cut the course. So they sent me then, or I somehow managed to be sent to uni because it was actually never the plan for me to study inside the military. I always wanted to be a professional soldier and officer for the rest of my life. So I studied in Munich and I studied politics and state science, which is a very broad study, which is just very, very big. It has law and human rights. It has social science, political science, political theory, applied ethics, media ethics everything in there and a little bit of business like macroeconomics, microeconomics as well. Mm -hmm. Really, really cool. And then after that, I was sent to United Nations training center in central Germany as a platoon leader and also as a uh, trainer to other soldiers and civilians going to deployments like Afghanistan to train them about how to behave, what there is to learn We were basically preparing them for their service in Afghanistan in like a crash course. The last bit of extra training they received before going there. But I wasn't happy with that anymore because it was not really in line with my talents. So I decided to cold call my way against all military protocol 
yeah. cold called my way into the Ministry of Defense, basically, into one of their entities there. And I got an internship in the media core, so to speak, like a, a media production unit that was growing at the time. And so I became part of a team that was only four people that was producing video for the military's YouTube channel and websites. And three and a half years later, when I left, that team had grown to 25, 28 people. And we had a new offices and we grew the YouTube channel exponentially over the years that I was there. For a long time, I was the only video journalist the military had in Germany. So I was the one that they could send to theaters of war because I was fully trained and vaccinated and equipped with yeah. everything you need in training and abilities and also security uh, clearances to go to a place like Afghanistan and do reporting there yeah. by himself with a camera and a pencil and paper. Wow. So now I must ask you my next question. Authenticity seems to be one of the themes of your life and one of your core values which I think at first as a child or as a young man, you probably didn't realize, but I can see today you sort of represent authenticity. So tell me, where do you think you finally realized that you are an authentic creator and like the music, like the journalism, like the video production, that you could actually use this to help the world? How did that switch happen I wouldn't go as far as saying that I was aware that I am aware that I can help the world. Like there is an intellectual element in what I do where I know that every good deed makes impact in the world and every good deed makes the world a better place. But it's really hard to pin down a specific moment. But I think that while I was playing and performing my music, it was still very vague for me, whether or not I was making an impact in people. Because to me, music at the time was, yes, it was expressing myself. It was expression, but there was the fandom that, you know, like people listen to your music and they think it's really cool. And like, there's a lot of superficial behavior around musicians and performing on stage and reviewing music. There's like all these fluffy words about yeah. it. I think at the time when I did music, and this is also part why I left the stage, was like, ah, it's superficial. It's at its core, it's really honest. It's really about love. It's really about care. It's really about compassion. But everyone's talking about it in such a exaggerated, mm. fluffy way. So I think that after leaving the music stage and then continuing to tell the stories of my friends who were these active sports people, I realized that I have a chance. I have a shot at telling stories that matter. So just before I joined the United Nations Training Center at the last couple of months in Munich, I started producing a documentary about a good friend who's a slackliner. He balances on these thin pieces of webbing in the mountains and over oh, okay. crevasses and things. And I did that as well sometimes. I'm scared of heights, but I somehow managed. And I wanted to create this documentary to help him with his promotion of his things, but also to inspire people because it's, it's really inspiring. Snacklining and these daredevil feast things, they kind of have a really inspired 
thing to them for me. Mm-hmm. Really emotional, really yeah. cool. And I tried to do that, but the documentary was just, it never came out. I never finished it until today because it was just too big. I didn't have the skills. So I think that later when I joined the Ministry of Defense, this media core here in, in Germany, in Berlin, and I started sharing the stories of my fellow soldiers, the stories of the civilians working in the military, devoting their life to the security of this nation, the, the security of other people. Mm-hmm. When I started sharing those stories, that was the first moment I can pin down where I think, oh, I'm really making a difference here mm-hmm. because I'm sharing these stories that nobody is hearing. Nobody's hearing the story of the 22-year-old guy that is operating the radio in a headquarters in Afghanistan where he is responsible of taking in distress calls from people who are out on patrol. And if he doesn't do his job well, then people can die. It's not the generals. It is these young kids sometimes. And it's these soldiers with very limited reach or power that have a huge impact on other people's lives. Telling the story and making people aware that being a soldier is not what they think it is. That's when I thought, yes, this is cool. This makes it this here I'm making a change. Wow. It's one thing having a job that saves lives. It's another thing knowing that there's value attached to it, that people appreciate what you do. I, for one, am a very, very, very selfish person. My uncle, my mom's brother and my grandfather were colonels in the military. I, for one, never understood how they did that, why they did that, because they spend a lot of time away. And my father's side of the family is completely different. They're business people. So our lives are very much influenced by that. And I remember when my brother was a kid, my grandfather would always try and make sure he was influenced by the business side of the family and not going to the military. But as I grew older and I matured as a person, I realized the strength that it takes to be okay with that, like to sacrifice a lot of your life and actually be okay with that service. You know, it takes a lot, which is why I asked you the question about the strength earlier, because I've never understood it fully. I do a little more after this interview. So thank you for sharing that lovely story about that moment. There are a lot of my listeners who find themselves, now I understand that you've done really big things in your life, you know, saved lives. You've been in the military. You've gone from that to a total journey in creativity. A lot of my listeners were struggling with just switching jobs, with just switching life paths, with just having the courage to follow their authentic voice. My research tells me time and time again, people are sitting on the sidelines lacking the courage, full of fear, or I don't know, justifiable fears. I don't want to comment on the quality of fears, but I just want to learn from you. What could we be doing different? How could we be thinking about this different? How could we be less scared? There's two things. Let me actually take the last one first. How can we be less scared? It's not about not being scared. To me, it is not about experiencing less fear. It is about how you handle it, how you 
take that fear as a signal that something is going on that needs your attention, that something is going on that is important to you. Because we're only afraid of things that we give our attention to. If I choose to give my attention to the suffering in Syria, mm. then all of a sudden it becomes something that enters my thinking, my feeling, my day-to-day -day life. So whenever you are afraid of something, ask yourself, why am I giving attention to this? And how do I actually relate to this thing? Because in many situations in my life, when I was trying to make a decision, and now we're coming to your first part, like being between jobs, sitting on the sideline, not knowing what to do, there's usually a vague understanding, if any understanding, of why you're not moving. You just feel that you're stuck. And every moment that you think ahead of yourself, or you look into the future, you're afraid, but are you asking yourself, what are you actually afraid of? Or are you just afraid? So I would say, if you feel like you're on the sideline of your life, if you feel like you're paralyzed by your emotion, then try to pin down what it is that you are afraid of and try to understand your relation to this thing. Because if you come to the conclusion that it's not you who's having a relationship with this fear, but it's maybe something that your parents have a relationship to, your spouse has the relationship to, but it's not really you. It's someone else's belief. It's someone else's fear. And you never decided, this is my fear. This, I'm having a relationship with money. I'm having a relationship with being a single mom. If you decide, no, I don't have a relationship with that fear, then it's going to become much easier to actually go and take the first step towards a change. And very practically speaking, you know, you listen to my story, how I evolved within the military. I was inside of a rigid framework that is made out of tank steel. The military apparatus is, is a box made out of tank steel. There's, you can't pierce it. You have to move within that framework. But I had to find a way how I can move from one corner, being an infantry officer at the very bottom of the food chain, to the other corner, completely opposite, physically on the other side of Germany, and moving up the ladder where I was very close to politics. Mm. So I had to find a way within that framework And a lot of people think, oh, I just need to quit my job and go off and, I don't know, eat, pray, love somewhere, <laughs> you know where, or become a yoga teacher. And that's going to make away with all of my insecurity and all of my problems. No, they'll find you. They'll haunt you down that rabbit hole. You have to make that change happen within the framework that you're in to be very honest and true to the process of facilitating change inside of yourself. And when you do that, the framework will create the possibility. The doors will open. That is what has happened to me. I was in this tank steel box. I was cornered in to one career, into one thing, believing that's all I can do. But through music, through compassion, through my upbringing, I developed myself within that framework. And when the framework saw, oh, he can do more, The doors opened up.
And sometimes you have to push the doors to open a little bit. But really, if, if the door is shut, it's shut. You can't blow it open. You've almost answered my next question. I was going to ask you if you, if the title of the show resonates with you, Date Your Ego, Marry Your Soul. And you very beautifully addressed that in what you've just said. The thing about fears is that it is the ego's favorite tool to keep us with our lower self. The ego will convince you, will find you, convince you, and keep you convinced that you are smaller than your fear. The more you're in touch with your soul energy, which is fearless, the more you'll be able to look and build that framework, which can create the possibilities that you did in your own life. And any words of wisdom you want to share with us along those lines for young women listening in who can't seem to get away from their egos and marry their souls? I think I want to share that I want to address love because I think love is such a universal ego eating machine. Yeah. Sometimes or we eat ourselves up in it. I think the biggest benefit from walking down the path that I have was that whenever something didn't go my way or whenever someone did something that felt like a blockade in my way, I decided to just move past it and to keep going my way. And whenever I met someone else, like a new partner, or when there was a new door opening, I did not think about the bad thing that happened, but I thought about my ability to overcome that thing that stood in my way. So not to be afraid to be hurt one more time and time and time again, but to look back realizing that you grew from that experience, that you made a conscious decision at some point to let it go, or that you have to make that decision to let it go, and that you will overcome whatever challenge you'll face in your life. That is what we're designed to do, to grow and to over challenges, to take the next step. Every morning is a new challenge. That is what we learn in officers training course. We are being evaluated every single day of our lives on the values that we adhere to and on the way that we show up for ourselves and for our comrades. Every single day is a challenge. Every single day you have to come up with a reason to get up, to put on the uniform, to take the stroller, to take your kid on a walk, to go to university, to show up for your students, to go to work, to sit in that cubicle and be a great colleague. You have to do that. That is the challenge. And you can't look back just pitying yourself over the bad things that happened and the, and the stupid people or the, the, the challenging people that came your way. Realize that you choose to overcome that and that you can and you will and you always have in the past. That's how you came here. I think what I'm getting from that for our listeners is if you're stuck in a situation that you feel is never ending, a job you can't leave because of your responsibilities or even because of your fear, have confidence in your ability and that ability will give rise to further confidence and that will allow you to break free and really wake up every day showing respect for your life and your fellow human beings. Wow. 
This is some really inspiring stuff, Christian. Thank you so much for all of this. I need to ask you, what is your self-love routine? I, I like asking my guests uh, this question, obviously in the right spirit. <laughs> my self-love routine is an ever-evolving search for what I need. I would answer this very differently every single time I'm being asked because okay. it comes down to just being mindful. Like sometimes I need just time for myself away from everyone and everything. Sometimes I need to just move, to just grab my bicycle and go for a ride in the middle of the night when it's warm in summer, or to just take my car and throw in a couple of camping utensils and then just with the intention of going camping, drive south. But then on the way, someone calls me and says, hey, I'm in Frankfurt. Do you want to come by? I'm having this work thing here. It would be amazing to have you. And then I decide, oh, cool. That's, what I, that's actually what I want. <laughs> so self-love routine means to me to be very mindful of my impulse that is inside of me, something that feels good that I want to do and just to give that to myself to do it but then not to be stubborn and, and to just, you know, to see it all the way through. But no, if there's something new coming, like to be open to yourself and life that happens as it unfolds. And that's a great way to spend your leisure time, isn't it? I think a lot of us find trouble with that. We like to go to a yoga class, very regimented, then go to this class, very regimented, and then go drinking to the pub, very regimented. It's like all sort of boxes we fall into. Life becomes a job. It does. True. And what are you reading right now? I just finished reading Deep Work. It's called, the mm -hmm. title is Deep Work. And it's written by Cal Newport. He's a great author and he explores people and techniques that have mastered focused work, like people that can write five peer reviewed papers, have a full-time job in their own company and raised three children at the time. Like I, for example, believe that a lot of women who are running a household and who have children and who are also working moms or creative on the side, they actually have, have that ability to like deep work because they focus on the thing that's in front of them. Yes. And then somehow they still manage to not let the baby put their hands on the hot plate and, you know, all those things at the same time. That's always, to me, that's very inspiring because I saw my mom doing that yeah. almost all her life. But, you know, we're the, we're distracted humans. Our attention is constantly being grabbed by media and our phones and everything. It's really hard for us to concentrate in the workplace. And so this book was really, it shared a lot about how distraction is kind of like destroying our productivity and is actually leading to a more miserable life and how focusing more on the things that matter and really learning how to focus has some real benefits, not just in the economic and, and business sense, but really in a, also in a spiritual way. I mean, you study, continuously study Eastern philosophy and, and, and by doing so, he brings that example of Jews devoting yeah. their morning to studying the Torah and, or some parts of it and, and learning the words by heart. And, and it's that ability to focus that lets you perform really, really well when you have to, like when I prepare for my podcast interviews, yes, I do not prepare three days in advance. I spend a very intense half an hour, one hour researching this person 
yeah. to upload all of the information into my brain. And then I have this conversation with them. So because I know that I can focus very, very hard on, on this person and get an understanding of them and then go and have the conversation. Like I said in my introduction to you, an inspired life is actually possible and you truly embody that. Would it be possible for some of our creative listeners needing a bit of inspiration or maybe needing your services to reach you in any way? There would be three ways. The first would be just to, if you're on Facebook, you can uh, find me at cruise.io. That's at C-R-U-S-E dot I-O. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram with that handle. We can put it in the show description if you want. Okay. Uh, you can write me an email. It's my last name, first name at gmx.de. Christian at gmx.de. If you want to discuss anything and everything that we talked about here or your creative business or your content, I'm always all ears for that. And absolutely, you should maybe check out my podcast, The Authentic Creator, that you can find on iTunes and elsewhere, wherever you want to listen to our podcasting. And I would really love to hear your feedback about that. And we will have you as well, Serafina, on my show. And I'm really excited about that. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we have time for today. I want to really, really thank you, Christian. This was just amazing. You are amazing. Your life is amazing. I'm, I'm sure you're going to go on and do fantastic, soulful things and I don't know if you believe in blessings, but I bless you with a beautiful, wonderful, happy life. Thank you so much for your blessing. <laughs> I wish you all the best for your show. You definitely have a follower and avid listener in me. And to everyone listening, thank you so much for your attention for this podcast. Serafina is doing a really, really, really cool thing here. She devotes her time and energy to spend it with people like me but most importantly she does it for you the listener and that is definitely to be very very grateful for thank you Serafina thank you thank you Christian 